You're listening to the Unreasonable Fridays Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of Ad Space. I'm your host, Aaron. Hey, Space. Welcome to another episode of Ad Space. I'm your host, Aaron Rand Freeman. And with me, the actual host of the show. And um, what was that you just did? What is it? You were the grammatical correction of something that's perfectly grammatically correct. And I'm 100% correct about. What is that? But, but we're, we're not an ad space. We are an ad space. If you we're cut an ad, space. we are the space. Talk to us. Are we adding to the space? Uh, we can, yes. Would you like something? Are we? I would like ice cream. There you go. And add space it is. The actual <laughs> host of the program. Add ice cream to your space. Add ice cream to, to your space. space. Add ice cream Fine. to your face. At least Bacon, Bacon, how are you? Hi, I'm here. Um, I'm alive. I exist. Mildly, not mildly, but manic. Your medication. Yay, I'm on week. Okay, well, I'd love to hear it. Love to hear um, it. No, I, I, I am not having an allergic to reaction to this one because it sounds like that's scientifically impossible. Scientifically um, impossible to have an allergic reaction? Well, scientifically improbable, I think it is what it is. Um, apparently, like, the, the science thing I can't remember the name of needs to be a certain size for your body to even recognize it as an allergen. And this is tinier than that. Okay, so you're not actually going to get sick for months from this but that, theoretically no but weirder things have happened you're just going to be sick from the other various things that can go wrong but that's off the table as long as your meds are off the table that's a good thing mm-hmm. my meds could cause some other kind of reaction that's not allergic All right. so good. at the very least i should not have hives on my face okay a positive everyone all right all right congratulations uh more importantly i'm a champion now um I, i'm a champion oh right because you my you, people we you, are champions that's right you're from milwaukee wisconsin my people we are winners for the first time in 50 years first time ever <laughs> Well, you know what? Before we get into that, before we get into that, before we congratulate you on your basketball team's NBA championship, we brought in an expert, uh, noted basketball enthusiast, former head coach and NBA player, uh, Justin. Oh, what was that? First of all. Yes. First of all. Yes. First of all. What? I appreciate you recognizing the former NBA skills. Of course. You know, I, I I rode bench in the F League, not the G League, you know, but but below the the G League, the D League, we've got the F League. You know. You know what? That's where I that's where I was. Oh, okay. So I actually have a funny story about that. <laughs> when I just gra- like I just graduated fam, uh, me and my boy were as twenty somethings fresh out of college with new employment do. Right, we were out. We was out here, 
And this dude, like a little shorter than me, like if you if you see me, I I've been told that I'm tall. Ren, I can't confirm this, but I've been told that I'm a tall individual. Ren, oh, oh okay. So this dude, like a little bit shorter than me, he's like, oh yeah, you know, I'm I'm, I'm with the wizards. I'm with the wizards. And me, me and my boy were just like, I I mean, if that's the con that you want to run, can we have your height again? I'm six six. Okay. Oh, yes. you, oh, you, yeah, you, you man, you, okay. you're a wink, you're a wink. Okay, now continue. No, you're not continue. tall. No one's been told you were tall. No, 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 no. The thing about watching basketball is you know what, you have no idea what tall is. So I'm 6'3", and people right. go, you're tall. And I go, no, I've watched basketball. I'm not tall. You're actually tall. 6'6 six, six is tall. Now, is there a 7-foot tall person looming to block your layup from behind? Yes, there is. There's a very small percentage of those men, though. You are officially tall in the way I believe in tall. So bless you. I you're, mean, that's real. You're an, ele- you're an elevation paragon, Justin. Bless you. I did not know you were 6'6". Six, six. I knew you were tall, but okay. No, no. That's like why when like I, I think he called himself a gigantic nerd. And I'm like, literally, literally. a gigantic literally nerd. Gigantic. <laughs> you are a literal giant nerd. <laughs> I mean, yes. Does not get more literal. Oh, but, uh, Go on. But please. Buddy was sitting there saying, like, oh, I'm with the wizards and with the wizards. So this girl is like, all right, cool. So who are you on the wizards? Because, like, I go to the games. I've never seen you. So you on, like, the practice squad? Or, no, 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 I'm not on the practice squad. So are you on the G League? No, 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 I'm not on the G League. So it's like, so what are you? I'm on, like, you know, the other, other league. You know. Mm. That's sad. Other, other league. I'm like, oh, this is actually sad. really sad to That's watch. That's sad, bro. You could make up a league. Ain't nobody following basketball like that. You can just say, you can just roll it back, man. Just pick it. Just say G League, and everyone yeah. will believe you, except niggas in the league and talent scouts. Those are the only two groups of people that will argue with you if you assert that you are in the G League. That's it. Everyone else can take your word for it. You could be in a relationship with someone for a few months. If you time it right, she ain't gonna ain't nobody gonna inquire for months. My man couldn't. I mean, there was also it. the time that someone thought it was Karam Butler, despite my pro- I'm like, Woo! I promise you I'm not Karam Butler. Woo! I promise you. I'm just a ra- I'm just God a damn. I'm not famous in any capacity. I'm just the guy here trying to drink some whiskey. Like, please. That is so no. racist. It must affect road visibility. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> you don't look nothing like fucking Karam Butler. Good goddamn. I mean, what the whole fuck? God damn. Nigga. Like, you four shades <laughs> darker? And his face Nigga. is shaped differently? He got a whole ass fucking lizard face and everything. Like, I don't understand. Karan Butler looks like Karan Butler. You can't mix him up with anybody except his daddy. Maybe. Like, I was, I was low-key insulted because, like, I look better than Karan Butler. Come on. Like. I mean, you do. But we brought on a former NBA basketball player to discuss the um, Bucks NBA championship. Congratulations, Bacon! Thank you, thank you. My people are champions. For one day, the Milwaukee Bucks have defeated racism. We won. They have, they have overcome their oppressors, Speak which it. are the coaching staff. Talk to these niggas, Bacon. <laughs> Giannis can now look for another team. 
no, no, well, free at last, well, free at last. Well, no, Lord well, Almighty, well, we no, are free he, at last. He, he ain't got it. He ain't got. He ain't got. I'm just go. saying that tweet was like really amazing. It was he, like a tweet from seven years ago. Jess is like, I'm not leaving the Bucks until we like get the championships. My nigga, you're free. He, I mean, he ain't got. I mean, he ain't got. He's like. Right. Yeah, Unless I mean, it's to get away from the oppressive, the oppressors. I listen, understand. Listen, Giannis is too nice. He's so nice. He's that such a delight. He is man. such a nice man that he doesn't hold it against whoever put whoever taught him that Frankenstein jumper coming out of Europe. He doesn't hold it against that man. He practiced that fucking Frankenstein jumper to the best of his ability. And he put on 40 pounds of muscle and he is half man, half tree. And he will sort out that jumper between now and when he retires. He's still 26, the baby. And that is the nicest man in the world. Because I'd be fucking furious if somebody told me to fix my jump shot and I'm down to shooting 50% from, from, the, from the free throw line when I came into the league. Yeah, form perfect jump. That was racism. That is, that is a microaggression. Some white coaches get a hold of you, and because your ass is too long, they tell you to shoot some funky ass jumper when she came in the league. If you think it's, look up young Giannis Attentacumpo. Came into the league with a crispy jumper. So I heard that as soon as like it was over, like he basically like dove for the chair to sit down. Yes. If somebody could get me a gif of that, I, I just I really need a gif of that for the rest of the year. <laughs> I mean, that's you after every raid solo healing. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> that man's poor back. <laughs> Hard carried. My man's hard, hard carried. carried. His lower three vertebrae. He tanked, DPS, healed, all of that. He was doing support shots. Yeah. He was, he was, my, yeah. My, my baby, my, my boy. He was playing. He, he did it. He was playing elite free safety, dog. Like I was saying before the show, the Suns run a play every time down, and he was on that shit every time down. My man needs intravenous fluids for a month like he needs body massages back he just needs to sit in I don't, what's that ice tube lebron sits in just move over just let let give him a month in the ice tube please he needs everything we can need to don't i know he's i know he's made i know he's what he's made up it's his extensions like 180 million 200 something whatever he still needs us to donate buy him an ice cream something he deserves all of it and I'll never say a 200 millionaire deserves our our goodwill, but he does. Uh, well, we listen, are adding ice cream to the space. So <laughs> listen, his his vertebrae need uh, therapy. <laughs> like they they need to sit down and talk about their feelings. I mean, <laughs> the trauma, get past the trauma. Listen, I give I give them a lot. The Bucks won it as a team. They just would not have won it without him. He decided that he was going to compensate for three teammates. That everyone play your role, and they did to their credit. The Bucks played; they all played their roles. They they did their they, they did they, their best. They they played their roles at an NBA level, and Giannis said, "I will account for two to three human beings on every possession. Don't worry, I got it. Just be you, be Drew Holiday." Just be Drew Holiday. Be serviceable. Right. Just you, Chris Middleton, hit your mid-range. That's how you got here, right? Listen. Hit them. Listen, I wasn't sitting there. I, I, I'm, I'm not like, I'm, I'm not like a very emotional fan generally. Um, my, my opinion of, of this is literally they hit the playoffs and I was like proud 
in my soul. I was like, this is great. This is beautiful. And like, but it wasn't even just that they hit the playoffs. It was like people were also roasting them. Like, like people were acknowledging that they were a team in existence, which is something that has never occurred over my 34 years of life. Like people were like, oh, what's your team? And I'm like, I'm like, oh, like, you know, my team isn't here because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm from a different state. And they're like, oh, Chicago. And I'm like, no, Milwaukee has their own team. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> They're like, like, or or the other response is Milwaukee has a team. I'm like, we're right here. Like they're just they were just on nobody's radar. So it wasn't even just like that they hit the playoffs. It was like people were actively roasting them. Like people cared enough to even roast them. And I was like, what a time to be alive. <laughs> the the Brewers moved their game for the championship game so there wouldn't so everybody was all in and i was just like this unity <laughs> the unity never in my life i mean it's so, it's really just, thoughtful of Giannis to bring a championship to wisconsin just in time for them to run off aaron Rodgers for no good and goddamn reason well timed <laughs> good job Giannis. is very that's a thoughtful boy right there and being thoughtful again listen listen uh, i don't think anybody was expecting that the packers are just like not going to be doing anything for a while and the brewers have been holding their own for a bit but the bucks brought it home the bucks brought it home that's right that's good the brewers are actually doing really well and i'm just like the last team that won the title was oscar rad oscar robinson and lou alcindor on there am i crazy justin it was it was oscar robinson's team the last one that won the title right Sure. That's a, sure. That sounds accurate. <laughs> yes. Why not? Oscar Robinson, <laughs> Lou Alcindor. Sure. They obviously sure. must have won an NBA championship. Clearly. Wait, hold on. No. Did Oscar Robinson win an NBA championship? I, listen, I could have sworn. Didn't they beat the Suns the last time? They were the they were the last time they played in the finals. They played the Suns, and I think they won. I'm looking. It's time. Yeah, you're gonna have to Google that one. We're uh-huh. we're into obscure basketball nerd. Uh, 1971 won a title is what Doctor Doe has right. said. Hold on, let me see. Right. Oh yeah. So it was Oscar Robinson, Lou Alcindor. Yes, young before okay, he became yeah, a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yes, that was. And they beat the Suns for the record. Last time they won a title, in. they beat the Suns. And the other oh connection God. there is the Suns and the Bucks both had the rights to draft Lou Alcindor, and it was a coin flip because they both. We're in that position for the draft. Coin flip. Bucks get the coin flip. Bucks get Luel Sender. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So here's the funny part for me. I'm also from Arizona. So I, I was going to win this either way. Uh... <laughs> it was the Bucks and the Suns. I mean, Bucks all the way forever. Like, I'd only really, you know, rep the Suns if the Bucks were nowhere near. Right. And it would only be in like the finals. Well, all right. Well, congratulations again, <laughs> Team One A. I go. I go. I would actually go Chicago over Phoenix. Really? Oh yeah, you don't like. You don't like. You don't like, you don't like, you don't like Phoenix. <laughs> That's okay. All right. So I, anyway, I'm glowing. Congratulations! It's my birth. This is the Bucks brought me a birthday present. Thank you, Bucks. Happy birthday again, Bacon. Um, week 
three of your birthday festival. Week three of the Bacon Birthday Bash. Tomorrow is tomorrow is officially Leo season, even though Leo season's been going since the first. I've never seen. My favorite thing is is what happens is the Leos take cancer season and throw it all with the fire escape every year. And the cancers are just like, come on, man. Every time, that's it. And then the Leos is like, fuck out of here. And then it's just Leo season for like an extra month. <laughs> it happens every year. Leos start posting the selfies. They start using the Leo season tag. Like cancers are like looking at this calendar. Like what the yeah. whole fuck? Getting do- physically dominated by Leos every fucking year this happens. Okay. Okay. So I'm not going to lie. There's actually a pretty good reason for it. Why is this? Um, the second half of July is when vacation season starts. Like cancer season is a vacation lull in between summers. Um, so like the second part of like, nobody can come to our birthday cause everybody's on vacation. Oh, fuck y'all. You're celebrating our birthday. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a good reason, but for a Leo, that sounds like a fantastic reason to literally just overwhelm a whole other group of people's birthdays. Like, that really isn't a good reason. Like, I'm going to humor you because you're the host of this program. It is, in fact, your birthday and the Bucks won a NBA championship. I will humor you. That's not a good reason to body the cancers off their birthday season. It's not. But it's okay. It's fine. It's a Leo reason for Leo season, <laughs> guys. <laughs> See what you did there. <laughs> All right. Enough of that. Um, we're here for a reason. We're here because all three of us, well, two of us have um, beaten Mass Effect Legendary Edition. All three games. And there's a lot to talk about with all three games. Mass Effect's a very... Um, a beloved oh. series. Oh. Uh, yes. Gamer Girl made a very valid point. We couldn't have Leo season last year, so now it's double Leo season as that's well. Another, that's another terrible... Leo's just make stuff up. Listen, it, this is... Whatever, guys. All of your reasons for bodying a whole group of cancers are all not really great reasons. It's perfectly fine. Uh, you guys can cook. I like Leo season because I love vanity. The influx, the attention-seeking... The, the, the avalanche of selfies, the birthday requests, months and months of just people just posting wish lists. And it's my birthday. It's my birthday 17 times, four weeks in a row, five weeks in a row. It's magnificent. I love the energy. But please do not try to rationalize what you guys physically dominate and bully cancers off their season. It's fine that you do. Just please. There's no good reason for it. You just do it. And that's fine by me. As long as we're all on the same page, guys. Leo's season forever, quite literally. Forever! Uh, so far, we have Leo Tember, Leo Vember, right. Leo Tober. That's right. <laughs> Listen, I would much rather meet at the house. We have all the Leos hang out and we all take pictures of them instead of actual Thanksgiving. I ain't trying to see my family. Fuck them. I'd much rather take pictures Actually, of Leos. Y- you know what? We have to, we, we can't skip Scorpio season because them some murder, murder murderous and motherfuckers. Scorpios get their season. See, I was about to say, I mean, y'all could try that with the cancers. <laughs> you don't want these problems with Scorpio season. That, that's, that's I'm like, no, 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 no. We have to, we have to not touch Scorpio season. I mean, like I said, I'm 
Um, Scorpio and Leo's are extra like punchy at each other, well, explosive towards each other anyway. So, right, so nine. It's a very emotionally volatile relationship that Leo's and Scorpios have, which can go in, in a good direction or a bad direction. Oh, uh, well, you know what? Yeah, no, Libras and Virgos won't say shit. They'll be like, thanks, I don't have to be outside. Right. <laughs> so, there you go. So you get an extra four seasons. Leo's season is now four whole birthday seasons. Good work, folks. Congratulations, Leo's. So that goes, your birthday season is from July until November? Uh, with, with, a, with a section for Scorpios. If you can extend that one more season, then you get like a whole football season to yourself. Just for the record, like work on it. I'm not it's saying like, you- it's like, you know, you know, that break between like, you know, that break before the Super Bowl. Right. That's Scorpio season. Okay, and then there's okay, and then we end the year with more Leo season, just like yes. the Leo snow season. There's the Leo dry season. There's Leo hot season. Okay, so yeah. now we've got that from July until New Year's, with a two week break for the Leo All Star Weekend, and Scorpio season, and then yes. we can then we go into um, Leo Leo cold season and the New Year. Yes. Okay, so we've cleared that up. It's good that we've had this discussion as a group. People in the Twitch chat, Gamer Girl, thank you so much. Bacon, thank you so much, guys. Collaboration, that's what we're about here. That's why we're that's what we're adding to the space. <laughs> and um yeah. So I hate, I hate you for that. Oh, there you go. <laughs> we had talked right, about that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you're gonna have to lead the topics. Um my brain is um uh, season twenty of Feast happened in fi- in Final Fantasy fourteen, um, and I spent two days re completely redecorating the FC house. No, it's so fine. topic uh, swap is up to you. Well, well, how do we? Where do we start? I mean, we can go in chronological order. Um, we should go in chronological yeah, order. Go chronological order. Let's do it. Let's well, go chronological. Well, the first thing that comes to mind, I'm going to let you guys, uh, we're going to spitball a little bit. Because the first thing I remember about Mass Effect 1 is how obscenely pro-military it is. First thing that comes to mind. It's such a wildly pro-military game that it's hilarious to play in 2021. So that's what comes to mind, like I said before. As I guess we're playing one, playing Mass Effect 1, like I said, when we Pick what comes to mind, and we will go. We will go. Listen with where we're. I mean, it's space John, you're space John Wayne. You are an aggrieved space marine with a gun going against the authority, the authority structure to get things done on your own outside the law. Now, whether you're a Michael Weston or a Jack Bauer, is your Paragon Renegade system. Which but one's the Paragon? Michael Weston's the Paragon. Okay. <laughs> Compared to Jack Bauer. You know, you're not wrong. Yeah, everything's relative. Yeah, actually, it's actually completely true. I do love me some Jack Bauer, but yes. Yo, that is a that was a wild ass time in America. You mean the okay? When was when did Mass Effect One come out? Two thousand seven or two thousand six? 
okay i wanted to i wanted to say yeah it had to have been like 2007 i don't think it was 2006 because the xbox 360 wasn't out yet 2007 yes um okay like i since bush has been out of office i have not heard weapons of mass destruction (laughs) (laughs) so going through mass effect one like there there were weapons of mass destruction it was like extremely pro mil. It was like it wasn't like carrying weapons of mass destruction. The like some of the phrases and like conversation sounded like various um, military ads that would like air on television. Because like the army had a few, and then uh, the air force had some. The navy had some. Um, the Marines, the Marines just really took the army one and then at the end of it just like fitted over, like did a voiceover instead. Do you join the United States Marines? Uh, <laughs> they're like, no, we don't, we don't just just slap a voiceover on it. But like almost all of the jargon from those advertisements was just like common conversation in Mass Effect One. It was so bizarre. <laughs> There's a lot of now that we are adults things looking back at Mass Effect 1 it's just like really weird. I one thing that the legendary edition does is it makes Mass Effect 1 fun. Oh yeah, they did some quality of life on that combat system. My god. Yeah, like Mass Effect 1 was not fun when I played it in 2012. No. On PS3, like that was not a fun experience. But they did like it. It's now a lot of fun, and I think the the strength of Mass Effect and we were talking about this earlier is the interpersonal stuff, like the interactions between your crewmates. The small Mass Effect gets the small stuff really. They do the small stuff really well. It's just when they try to do big arcs, intent versus execution, and that's it's hit or miss. In one, it works because one, you can treat one as a self-contained game. You're against one Reaper. You're struggling against this thing. And the, the, the narrative works over the span of that one arc. You get really good character moments with Rex having to wrestle with, hey, do I save my people or do I rebel against Saren? Because Saren's helping the Krogan. Y'all aren't helping the Krogan. Like, there's some really good character moments there. Um, even Ashley, who I still contend gets a bad rap, I see what they were trying to do with Ashley's character, but because the first words she says when you get to the Citadel are, I can't tell the aliens from the animals, that taints your perception of Ashley for the rest of the game. Oh, no. Ashley is backwater, hardcore, conservative, um, xenophobe. But she's not. Oh, no. She is. Uh... She really, really is. It's just when it comes down to other stuff, uh, like she, she definitely has some growth because the thing is too, is like, like even if you have more conversations with her, you can like, you can get into like where her like personal opinions lie, but it's one of those things where like, if it hits like close to home, then she's like, what? I don't understand. And like, I didn't, like, I don't believe this sort of thing. And I'm like, but you do. 
Right. Like, so you, if I know if you take more renegade options with her, she basically becomes a Cerberus uh, recruiting poster, which becomes hilarious when they make Cerberus the, the eventual big bads. But like actually talking to him, be like, yo, your whole stance of we got to stand alone is counterproductive to our existence. We get better by working together. That's what makes us strong. That's what makes us, you know, human. Humans, humans are at our best when we collaborate. That's the story of humanity, collaboration, right? And you can eventually get her to realize, okay, collaboration is cool. Ashley softens in a way that Presley never does. Your navigator, Presley, will tell you straight up, yo, I don't like these aliens on the ship. I'll follow orders, but no, <laughs> fuck these aliens. Uh, I, I think it's at the end of, it's either at the end of one. Yeah, it's at the end of one. No, no, it wasn't the end of one. It's in two, where they actually leave a note where Presley's like, I was wrong about everything. And then he dies. Well, no, it was after he died. Oh, yeah, I remember that, yeah. It's in the memorial. Yeah, I remember you that. Find, yeah. You find, like, data pads and stuff about all the stuff. So, yeah, they, like, in Mass Effect 2, if you do that, they even have, like, a little blurb in there where Presley's like, I was wrong about everything. These aliens are great. I hope everything goes well with Tally. Like, I think he mentions Tally by name. Right. Yeah. And then he explodes. I mean, it's after he exploded, but he exploded. Yeah, he exploded. Yes. I mean. But, again, I, intent versus execution. With Ashley's character, they're trying to create a character that is wary of aliens. They did not succeed in that execution. And in, in three, she feels like a completely different person than in one. I mean, in three, she's still a little odd. She'd be saying some. She'd be talking about her family life, and I'm like, Ashley, your dad is. Um, I think your dad might be um, mildly toxic. And Ashley's like, Oh, he's great. You know, my dad used to be like, Don't be a pussy, man up. And I'm like, uh, Ashley. Ashley, I think your father was mildly you, abusive. Yeah, I think you your, your father. Doctor, yeah, your sisters. Right, and he was just like, it was, it was like nobody has time to cry. And when it was one, she said, um. He used to always have to gear up to go to his like girly cave. That's what he called his family. It was like the girly cave or something like that. Yeah. It was a house full of yeah. Fun, yeah. house full of women. Yeah. So basically, he, you know, her dad is the dude who really wanted boys and ended up with like what, three, four girls. Three girls, three girls, and his wife. Yes. Three girls and his wife, and um, but there, there's also a thing too where they add in there where um, Ashley's sister gets basically assaulted gets like sexually assaulted and Ashley wasn't like Ashley at first wasn't even supportive when she's even telling the story yes like she didn't even believe her sister she was like telling her sister's like oh you know like here's some super not helpful advice on how to like make dude who wants to go faster than you want to happy (laughs) um and like even in conversating about it oh lizard (laughs) (laughs) even in conversating about it was um, like really just like lackadaisical about the whole thing. And I'm just like, first off, clearly a dude wrote this. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. uh, uh, This whole, this whole conversation is, is not great. This is not, this is not a good conversation. And it ends with the empowering message of, and then I, and then I beat him up. And I'm yeah. like, that was the empowering message. I'm like, and it was supposed again, to be an empowering story. 
intent versus execution. I it's feel like so that phrase is going to come up a lot in this discussion. God. But so, yeah, it was like they, and I, I understand kind of what they were doing. So because like this game, oh yeah, beat him up and then forgive him. Thank you, Penguin. Thank you. Like her sister forgave him after beating him up. And like, you know, that was the whole like, my sister is strong for doing this, which to be. However, a victim handles the situation. Okay. Okay, there's no, I mean, that is not a wrong way of handling it. If that is how you want to handle it, you also don't have to handle it that way. Handle it however you want. Um, And that is okay. But again, this was a choice made by a writer and it, it, it is a very odd choice to make from a writing perspective. And, and this is something I really want to like drive home with people. Like none of, none of this happens in a vacuum. Like somebody made an executive choice to write this. And then that writing was allowed in there and thought of as a good thing to put in there. So like, this isn't like, when it comes to like character immersion, character choice doesn't actually exist. Like you don't actually have character choice. You have a set amount of option, like specific options that you are allowed to do, but those options are determined by the developer, by the writers. Um, there's no like, like characters don't actually have identity. They just, they, they do not, they are not real. So um, that is that's just definitely like a thing, like I want to like emphasize because it's a massive problem with the Mass Effect series. <laughs> is um, uh, the 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 things that they like do to the characters and the choices that they allow the players make to both the characters and in the and narratively are actually a big problem it's actually a giant issue with the entire series on top of them yada yada in their own writing my biggest honestly like mass effect one was never really that bad to me but like at the same time um the time period in which mass effect one happened like we were still in the iraq in the iraq war like the iraq war was going on bush was in office um Obama hadn't taken over yet. Like, that's the time period in which this game was written and developed and then released. And it, so, feels that, it definitely feels that way it, at times. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's interesting because in a way it feels like a time period piece. Yeah. It just, it's just like, like, Ashley is supposed to be, Ashley and other people, like, they're trying to do the whole, like, you know, being xenophobic, but it's against aliens instead of, Middle Eastern people and Muslims here. And it doesn't escape my notice, you know, notice that like, you know, the Koreans, which are considered a variety of super not awesome things, also are, have like covered from head to toe yeah. in very clearly um, Middle Eastern derived attire inspired attire i think one thing that mass effect as a whole tries to do 
is with their morality system, they try to present both sides of an argument as valid. And in doing so, agree with both sides of the argument. Right. Like, and it, and I have I have to sorry I have to interject real quick. They the the way the morality system changes it changes between games. So that, that's actually a very important thing because the morality system in Mass Effect One is much different than the morality system in Mass Effect Two. Yes. Right. Like Paragon and Renegade in One is are you pro galaxy or pro human with your Renegade decisions and the Renegade decisions feel really really off right like two the renegade decisions it's more like are you a renegade cop or you know do you play by the rules and even still that can feel kind of weird i don't know mass effect 2 it really more felt like to me like are you going down the ism well or are yeah. you no yeah right. it's like, a, they're the renegade a cop well the, the the mcnulty route from the wire there are, are you gonna lie about serial killers? There are two. There are two. There are two levels to the Renegade playthrough. There is the um, Renegade cop, and then the racist Renegade cop track. There we go. And you can uh, you can be a Renegade cop where you where you throw everybody out windows, or you can be a racist where you try to short track it. You try to fast track it by just throwing aliens out window. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, it's hard to hold that balance. Across the entire game, but we're, like I said, we'll get the Mass Effect 2 when we get there, but yeah. Right, well, especially when the whole, it seems like what the writers want as a whole for Mass Effect, the narrative they're going for is you have to collaborate. Like, that. that is the thesis of Mass Effect. The thesis is collaboration. You cannot succeed through isolation. You can only succeed through collaboration, Right. That's the, the coded message throughout the entire series. So it's odd that they give you a chance to be isolationist and then try to say, well, nope, too bad. Now you got to work with people. I mean, uh, they tried to um, make it a tangible penalty, have tangible penalties in Mass Effect 2. But it um, then allowed you to then be a racist for about 80 game hours before you were really met with any penalties that by then might not have mattered, especially if you are, if you really do truly believe this, like if you are, if you are like living out your racist fantasies, then like most racists, it's fuck those aliens anyway, despite the penalty. So whatever they were trying to do didn't work because, you know, whoever they were, the, the audience that they were speaking to out of the other side of their mouth didn't get the message at all. And they wouldn't have which is why you don't do this kind of stuff. Right. Well, it, they try to punish them, but because they punish them under the guise of free narrative, they don't see it as a punishment. They just see it as a consequence of their action. Not all consequences are punishments. Right. So, like the, the playthrough of getting all your crewmates killed because you don't interact with them. That's not a punishment to them. That's just a consequence of their actions. Right. Uh, it, it is. The, anyone who... Is a, if someone playing out racist fantasies is not worried about how they're going to fail, they cannot see how they would succeed without racism. So this is fine. No, they they literally can't. Like they genuinely can't. Like they're at, at, like at, we haven't. We're gonna talk about Mass Effect three later, but this this 
is pertinent to this part of the conversation. Like there were people on the Reddit boards who were really angry that like you have to kill Rex, you have to kill Warden in order to not cure the Genophage. Right. Right, because they, they like their token Krogan. They, they they like their buddy. They just wanna keep committing war crimes against their buddy. Right. Rex is one of and them. Like, and it's one of those things too where like there's a like there's a throughout the series you talk there's a lot of talk about the first contact. Not the first contact. Well, actually the first contact war as well. Um, but about the genophage and the rachni wars. So like the rachni kind of lost their shit and just started attacking people um, and started taking over territory. It was really awful. Uh, folks didn't know what to do. So that like they got together, they brought in the, uh, they brought in the Krogan, the Krogan, uh, you know, just defeated the Rachni and then the Krogan wanted Went to war with everybody else. Yes. And Krogan like said, it, we want all the smoke. They said we want all of it. Like they were I, I believe it was described as uh they were basically strapping rockets to asteroids to uh send into planets. Yes. That part deserves special mention. They would <laughs> strap rockets to asteroids <laughs> to colony drop. Yes. Like Gundam fans out there, they were doing Char's counterattack as an opening salvo, not not an ending. Not that an was opening. their opening move. Of, hey, we're just gonna drop some. We're just gonna drop some asteroids on the planet. It'll be opening fine. <laughs> Thank you. Oh God, Char's count. Thank you. Love Char. <laughs> hey, look, Char I'm not. I'm not saying Char was wrong. Char okay. I'm just saying Char I Char understand. Char, Char is in that weird spot where you're like. I don't have an opinion on this. Because... Oh, no, opinion. My nigga is wild, and I just understand how we got to that point. And I think that's right, not... well, but that that's why I said I don't have an opinion on it. Because like if you watch the trajectory of how he got there, it's really like Yes. But that that's that's a testament to good writing where you can have right. someone make bad decisions that are objectively bad and evil, but because you've seen the character go through their arc, you understand how they got to that point, and in Char's case, that hypocritical point, and it doesn't feel like a 180. No. Re- the, another series that did a really good job with this, Marvel Civil War 2, where Carol Danvers is effectively the bad guy. It makes sense if you read that, the Ultimates, because Carol guy. Danver, well, her whole thing was, I can see the future, I'm going to predict crime before it happens and lock people up. I think that's a bad idea. But I get how she got there because Galactus showed her that, yo, you all have effectively broken time. Every action that you have taken has disrupted the time flow. There is nothing that you can prepare for. Everything is chaos. Everything is going to end, and it's your fault. So Carol Danvers, a human being, has a human reaction of, oh, my God, I have to fix this. She's 100% wrong, but I appreciate the writers took the care with her to show, yo, this is how she got here. This is why she's freaking out. It is a 100% understandable reaction. Tony Stark is freaking out, again, not because he thinks he's right, but because he's still traumatized and processing all of the trauma of the last thing that he went through. Nobody is right here. 
everybody is wrong. Right, and right. Then, and that's yeah. and and that's the, the situation, honestly, with the Krogan. Nobody was right. But ha- everything was bad. Every like this is definitely one of those where you look at it and you're like, I get how we got here today, and this is what we need to do to continue, but I have you were all of you were wrong in that. And so the the Salarians created this thing called the Genophage. They specifically well, the, the Salarians working on the Genophage specifically did not want to make the Krogan extinct, but um, the, the Krogan can lay a thousand eggs per, they can have like a thousand babies per like pregnant female, per fertile female, like one, they have like a giant clutch of like all the Krogans, like literally a thousand. So of course, like not all of them live, but what they did is that they reduced the, they reduced the fertility rates and the birth rates of the Krogan so that they couldn't have a thousand Krogan at once. Because they also live for a thousand years. So you have wild numbers of Krogan and they're, um, of course, there's that, you know, the the thing that gets driven home is that they're extremely aggressive. They have a warlike culture. They do have a warlike culture, but they're not all 100% aggressive. That's just not, that's very that's a huge oversimplification of the Krogan. Um uh, and they're also very honor bound society as well. So what they did is, with the Slayers is they created the genophage to basically lower the birth rate, but not to the point where they would be extinct, but enough to like just like severely cull their numbers. Um and they released it. And then they had the Turians drop basically genophage, bo- genophage bombs over everywhere so that all the Krogan were infected. And it basically, it, it, it biological warfare worked like right away. Uh, fertile females became infertile. Uh, they would, they would, you know, there was a, uh, they would, a, they would have children. The children would just die. Just yes. thousands of children death, dead in stillbirth. Right, that was it. Yes, a vast majority the of their children was reduced were... to one in one thousand. Yeah, to yeah. one in one thousand. Yes, that is horrific. Right, like, and to hear Morden try to justify that, I was like, yo, I don't know if, like, I almost. My first playthrough, I almost didn't do his loyalty mission. No, his loyalty. I was like, yo, this nigga is wildin'. I don't want to help you. So important. And here's the thing, too. And this is where it's one of those where it's just like, like, you know, that the writers created a situation where there were no right answers. So, like, historically, there's not, like, a right answer to what was happening. Um, Because, again... The Krogan were literally colony. Well, they, were, they were destroying colonies with asteroids. Yes. I, I don't know. I don't know. There's no, like, everybody's wrong. Everybody's wrong. Everybody's doing genocide right now. <laughs> um, the, the Asari could have prevented all of that, but that's later. That's later. That's so, whew. Oh, it's definitely later. Um, so, you know, one of the things too is like, you know, the Salarians do a lot of biological research. They were really talking about, um, Krogan aggression, but they're also talking about how like, you know, in order to, 
they they also talked about how like the Salarians, some Salarians also view it as like an uplifting. They're like, they were destroying their homeworld. We literally saved them, and it's just like. Oh, but the genophage has been going on. The genophage was going on for like seven hundred years. Yeah, they were destroying their really homeworld cool. because of the genophage. I mean, yeah. No, they no they just they just Chachanka was destroyed before the genophage. I thought they were destroyed. I thought they started nuking each other afterwards. Oh no, they gave them. They gave them. Oh, they no. were nuking each other. All right. Before that. All right, because they were given weapons for the Rachni and used them on each other, and then they had to use the genophage to keep them from doing that. Right. They, they did. They weren't just. They were using the nukes on each other. They were using the nukes on everybody else. <laughs> lots of nukes. Lots of blowing up. Everything. Yeah. It was real bad. And so you have people talking about the Krogan as like these savage wild beasts who just kill each other. And you have also Salarians who are talking who are saying like, oh, we uplifted the Krogan. We did the right thing, etc. And it's just like, ah, no, no, this was all bad. But the biggest thing is is Krogan at the point today are not Krogan and today in the story, aren't the Krogan that were during the Rachnite Wars. Like everybody's changed. Like the death of their people has like changed uh clans are completely fractured like there's like all of the death that they've had to deal with all of the everything that they've had to deal with changed krogan as a culture and it was at that point that continuing the genophage is still is continuing is doing a war crime like 100 percent. yes the genophage needs to be cured like not curing the genophage is the wrong thing to do um, and that's kind of like the biggest situation. So you hear people uh, talking about, you know, the Krogan, and it's really clear, like, how they get into it. And it's really the Mass Effect writers did a little too much research in like air, like areas on, you know, racists and xenophobes and whatnot, and how terrorist cells work. Because they incorporated all of that into their writing into the game. Yes. Literally all of it. Word for word. It seemed like they were, they I thought agree. that they would, Um, we, we were all on this journey together. That would, that would be the thing that I got from them is that they thought that we were all on this journey of discovering the ills of xenophobia together. We were not. And they didn't know that they we were not all we were not all in the same place on this journey and yeah it shows in the writing they are very shocked it seems as though as the series goes on is that there's a there's more actual shock from the writer <laughs> that we would actual that we are actually terrible that gamers are terrible a lot of shock because yes with their research they're they're acting out their research they're like they're they're giving us the option of learning on our own what they've learned about the horrors of racism and xenophobia and, uh, but like the worst part about it is is that they allowed the character choice again in the story for them to be racist and xenophobic like the actual player like they allowed the players to they gave the players the option of being terrible yeah which was something that they never should have done no it was almost they, like yeah it was bad there was the the assumption that we would know that we would do better which you know they found out that we wouldn't um, but like, right uh, like this is this is not this is not the social this is not a social experiment white people need to stop doing these social experiments i mean but like again 
why have the option in there if you don't want players to make that option? Uh, like I said, I think, I mean, this does speak to, I mean, this is a, this is a whiteness issue of turning everything into a game or a debate, something tangible that can be, um, everything is a Rubik's cube. The most complex social issues are all eventually Rubik's cube that can be sorted out if you just fiddle around with it long enough. Seems like that's the thought process. So they're giving the well, player it, the option of working out the Rubik's cube and, uh, yeah. Yeah. It, Intent versus execution again. So Star Trek Deep Space Nine, one of the best Star Trek episodes ever made, ever, is the Pale Moonlight. They're in the Pale Moonlight. There's a war going on with the Dominion, and the Dominion are running, are just wrecking the Klingons, the Federation, and they're like, yo, if we can get the Romulans into the war, we might have a chance. So Cisco, our protagonist, our captain, does several underhanded things to try to get the Romulans into the war, including forging and in, forging intel and lying to a Romulan senator. The senator sees through this, and Cisco's partner in all of this murders the senator and makes it look like the Dominion did it. Cisco is furious. He's like, "How could you do this?" And his partner tells him, "You knew I would do this. That's why you came to me. You came to me because I could do those things that you can't do." So, yes, you'll get what you wanted. The Romulans will enter the war, and all it cost you was one Romulan senator, one dead criminal, and the self-respect of one Starfleet officer. And it ends with Avery Brooks giving this brilliant monologue about how he's so guilt-ridden by this, but he'll do it because he has to, and he can live with it. And then he says, I can live with it. And the whole episode is presented as him making a captain's log of his confessions. And then he says, I can live with it. And he orders the computer to erase the entire log. The episode is presented as Cisco doing a horrible thing. It is presented in universe as a horrible thing. And you see him rationalize it to himself. And you're witnessing this man compromise his morality for what he believes is a greater good. And he's lying to himself the whole time. The narrative is unambiguous in the fact that he is lying to himself. That is Mass what Mass doesn't Effect, do that. Mass that is what Mass really, wanted to do. And they don't. They do really bad. And, and it's um, to the point where, like, some of the Paragon, even in Mass Effect 1, like, some of the Paragon, and at that point, like, Paragon's really supposed to be, in Mass Effect 1, supposed to be, like, here's, like, the good decision, or here's the asshole decision. And, like, the good decision isn't, isn't a good decision. It's actually just as bad. Like, it's, it's not good at all, actually. Like, I don't even understand why they even had it as an option there. Um, uh, like, to be honest, there's not, like, as many options in Mass Effect 1, because Mass Effect 1 was the first game. It's more open or exploration with very um, short side quest the game itself is short the game is less than 40 hours it's like 35 hours tops with everything um so like all of this information is like crammed into 35 hours of like heated choices that you can make that are heated problematic choices that you can make and uh really strongly problematic side quests and there's also this theme of when you're doing the right thing, you talk a person into shooting themselves in the face. Was that what story? Which one was that? Because I think I know what you're talking about. I did. 
Wait. That's Saren. Well, like, it pops up in other side quests too, but the main oh. Paragon route in Saren, like the final it boss of one, if you take the Paragon conversation every time you talk to him, you can make him realize he's indoctrinated and get him to kill himself, and you skip yep. a boss fight. Well, I mean... Uh yeah, you skip you skip phase one of the boss fight. Yes. Uh, but the the way the paragon options work in Mass Effect One is either you prevent a fight from starting before it happens. Generally, the paragon options have you pre have you prevent a fight before it starts. Like that's that's really like how most of the paragon options work. Now, what it does is you either manage to talk the person into standing down, or you talk them into shooting themselves in the face. Because that's how they decided that people who have undergone trauma deal with it. People who are having acts of violence caused by severe trauma, that is how they get, that is how they decide the fact, decide to continue on is to shoot themselves in the face. Well, yeah. And I think the frustrating part about that is there are examples of successfully talking people down in Mass Effect 1, like the cult. You can talk the cult leader down. Mm -hmm. And it just ends with the cult leader turning themselves in and say, okay, I submit myself to custody. Dunzo. And he literally and he literally goes, let me just talk to everybody first, because if they see me, they're going to attack you. I never meant for any of this to happen. Let me just... He's like, this is just what I want because they treat they treat people biotics terribly. Uh, I think uh, biotics are supposed to be a another allegory for uh, this people with disabilities, which again they do this really terribly. Because <laughs> um, uh, basically, people with people who have biotic powers are usually end up getting them through really shady means not not their own fault but like you know a pharmaceutical facility decides to drop like this chemical in their area and boom people start popping up with biotics and then they start running tests and doing like torturous tests on them and oh look they have powers now they can manifest their powers and experiments super shady the whole thing is shady and uh, that particular quest was a politician was against uh, reparations for uh, biotics with a specific implant because uh, they literally government sanctioned torture is what they underwent uh, in order to control and study and harness their powers. And so... You know, he has this whole thing of biotics and then, you know, they capture a person and they have to release him and they also have to, like, talk down the biotics. It's all bad. All of it's bad. And that leads into a quest of Mass Effect 2 as well. Side quest. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, it's so bad. Like, everything. Like, the allegories. It's like, there's just, like, these really great written moments that are just wrapped in trash. It. And the more I think about it, the more I realize I think the writers didn't have the range. They have a sweet spot in interpersonal relationships. Their ability to write back and forth dialogue between two living creatures is good. The overarching, someone told them that they need to have an epic story on top of all this. And that seems to be where they tripped up. The more we talk about it, the more I think about it. 
the things we all love about Mass Effect is watching everybody play basketball at the Y with each other. And all the overarching narrative is deeply flawed. Just It's right. really super flawed. Um, I think we're pretty much like, we've, we've gone over Mass Effect 1 pretty deeply. Well, the, uh, there is one thing I do want to bring up about 1 that cannot be understated. The, the, the Cerberus side quest chain. Yes. That is actually a really well done quest chain of the Admiral just starting out looking for his crew. You find his crew. They've been massacred by Cerberus. And you see Cerberus experimenting on Reaper technology, Thorians, and the Rachni. And they've murdered an Admiral. And you're like, whoa, this organization is terrible. Which leads us into Mass Effect 2. You're now working for this organization. I... What? I get why the survivor of Vermeer was like, dude, you wildin'. No, I'm not going to join Cerberus. <laughs> like, what? What? I, no. I don't know how y'all's conversation went, went with that one, but my person, I, when I was talking to them, I was specifically like, I'm not with Cerberus. Not like that. Like, we aren't. We aren't like that. Right. That's I mean, not. I, I tried to say that too, but I don't blame them for not believing me. Cause it's like, yo, you were dead. They rebuilt you. I don't know if you're a clone. I don't know if they have mind control chips. And I'm like, you know what? No, yeah. that's fair. Valid. Like I, I, I can't argue that one. Like I'm not even mad. Not even mad. But no. I did notice the percentage of people who let Ashley live on Vermeer, but then killed her in three because she doesn't join you in two. There is a very specific demographic of hashtag gamer TM that does that. I didn't even know that was. Thing. Wait, wait, what, Listen, what, what option? Hold on, what option? All right, so in Mass Effect One, if you save Ashley, then see her on Mass Effect Two. There is a contingent of gamers TM that, because Ashley did not listen to them and join them in two, murdered her in three without trying to talk her down as punishment. You can murder her. Yes, you can kill yes. Caden. You can kill Caden and Ashley. You what? don't even have like you, when yeah, when that you can encounter kill them. starts. When the encounter starts, you have the option to just shoot them. There's actually several opportunities to shoot them. There's there's several opportunities you personally have to kill them. Now you lock yourself out of that option if you talk to them. Like if you talk to them all three times before the Citadel mission in three, you don't get the first renegade interrupt to shoot them. You have to try to talk them down. And then if they don't listen, then you have to renegade shoot them. But gamers were mad at Ashley because how dare this woman not obey me? And they murdered her. I can't ignore that. It was a specific demographic of gamer that did that. That's not surprising. I'm not going to lie. I understand extremely well why i killed kaden in every single one of my playthroughs um this was my first playthrough where i let kaden live it was an accident um and i i i just i only had i only had i've, I've played so much mass effect in my life like i played so much mass effect i only had enough had enough in me for one full playthrough of the entire thing so one playthrough of mass effect one one playthrough of mass effect two one playthrough of mass effect three and i fucked up and i put Caden on the bomb and I put Ashley out in the thing and I was like damn it I meant to do it the other way around 
No, I forgot. Like, I messed up the whole thing. Because at first I was going to save Caden because I've never had Caden. And then I was like, right. but I want to save Ashley. And then I ended up saving Caden on accident because I fucked it like, up. Because I think you swapped Caden and Ashley. Like, I the did. One, the one you wanted to save, the one you didn't want to save, you sent with Kirahe. And you wanted to save Kirahe. Right. And then I was like, no. And I got stuck with Caden. <laughs> it was so boring. <laughs> Caden has no personality in one or two. He's so boring. Yeah. No, he has no no. Okay, so first off, Caden has personality if you're a female shepherd. Um, the problem with Caden is that um uh too much game immersion right now is Caden does not take no for an answer. Like you have to apparently there's like three specific options you have to choose in order to lock out of the romance. You can't be nice to him at all. You have to, like, you have to choose literally the renegade answer. Like, like the, the answer that gives you renegade points, specifically, every fucking time. And that answer is not always obvious. In order to lock yourself out of the romance. But the thing is, is, like, even if you don't romance him, and you don't, um, like lock yourself out of the romance it still counts as you romancing him but you don't get the achievement so Caden thinks you're dating when you've told him no i've told him no like three times in mass effect one at least um if you tell him no he's he'll when he runs into you in mass effect 2 he's very betrayed and hurt and he's still in love with you and he doesn't understand why you joined a bunch of space racists um and i'm like what and he even at points he's just like I thought we had something and I'm like we didn't have anything <laughs> we would ever get together <laughs> which is a reoccurring theme that happens I think I turned him down five times in Mass Effect three um you I lost count I think we could say we were gonna ballpark it somewhere between five and six times you act and he was on his deathbed he was it was every every single conversation you have with Caden is. Tr like it was desperately trying to get me out of the romance that it kept thinking I was in and I was just like this is too much game immersion we were never together <laughs> never I said no I said no god damn it <laughs> oh my god and I understand oh yeah if you and if you meet him of course okay so my entire goal this entire playthrough was to romance Garrus there was like I did not want to romance anybody in Mass Effect 1 because I was like my I wanted to Garrus I wanted I wanted to not cheat on Garrus I wanted to be the not cheater and just be like straight Turian gloriousness perfect boyfriend the Turian Garrus right 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 right, right. right. He's, a, um, he's a smooth motherfucker this makes sense Smooth ass motherfucker. Who the voice actor is so good. The the filter that they put on the voice actor is great. It's fantastic. Uh, whoever was responsible for writing his character just did way too good of a job. Yeah. <laughs> the ad lib that the, the all the ad lib that the voice actor did is even better. The voice actor threw a bunch of his own shit in there. It was just amazing. Um, but in Mass Effect Three, there's like you know how you can like have lots of personal conversations with people in your team on your squad so if you don't kill K if you don't take one of the five opportunities to kill Caden in mass effect 3 you have lots of opportunities <laughs> um he, he he's like let's go get some lunch and i'm like okay 
we had a good chat at the hospital while you were on your deathbed. I feel like we came to an understanding. And then he goes, you know, Shepard, I've been thinking about a lot of things. I've been thinking about you. And it's like, I understand why you cheated. We are never together. Yeah, that was the thing that got me. I was so happy. I was so happy to not have a cat. I was playing through my, I was playing through Mass Effect 1 again when you were uh, playing through Mass Effect and Mass Effect 2 or 3. And Mass Effect 3, and I was like, yeah, I was really happy that I blew him up again. I almost I almost pulled the trigger just because I've never had a playthrough with Caden in it, alive yeah. in it. And uh, once I, the fifth time, he hit you up, and then he started acting like you were dating. Like, he was just like, listen, I understand why you'd want to stray. Excuse me? It's like, well. I was, I was, I was, yeah. I was. And the thing is, is like, I've had this experience with guys before. And, and like I had I had one ex where like I tried breaking up with them like literally 10 times and like the breakup just wouldn't stick. And I'm like, am I cheating now? I'm trying to date somebody else. What's happening? <laughs> I mean, at, that, at that point. <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to move on with my life. But this person doesn't understand that I'm breaking up with them. Even when I said like, I, I need to break up. We need to break up. I'm breaking right, up. Right. I'm going to date somebody else. And yet we're still together, and I'm like, too much game immersion. It was too much game immersion. So now I understand why I kill Caden every single time, and I will never feel guilty about it ever in my life. (laughs) I used to feel really guilty about it, and now I don't feel guilty. I just don't. There's no other option. You have to kill Caden. So whoever, whoever, I'm like, no. However, if you romance him, he's he's a wonderful person to date. Yeah. He is wonderful very in tune with your feelings very great he's wonderful romance if you're trying not to romance him it's terrible he's he's the only romance option that dotes on you like actually would prefer if you stopped getting shot at every day like it would be great for his nerves if you were not actually in a um, third person action game for 120 hours be great for him all the other characters like i've been uh, I romance Liara straight through all three games, and she just wants to know where you're at so she can pull up and start killing people with you. Like, the annoying Yo. part is if you don't let her know where you're at so she can pull up and start killing people. And Liara's character arc is wild. Yes. Garrus Garrus is actually really cute in a way because, yeah, yeah, like Penguin said, Garrus is like, I can't believe we didn't get shot together. <laughs> But he's also very much at the, um, like, he also wants to protect you. So, like, if you don't take him with you, he gets very concerned. So he's just like, I like, he, he, he wants you to be safe. And he feels better if he's at least there to help you be safe. Which is something that gets conveyed throughout the thing. And I'm just like, Garris is, like, the most supportive boyfriend ever. All my expectations for future dating is ruined. I don't blame you. He's very nice. He's he's too smooth. Well, so the, oh, go on. That's the that's the other thing with Mass Effect romances. They're either done like super well or WTF. Jacob. Right? Ooh. Well, yes, Jacob. Um I actually wanted to talk about Jack. Because yes, please, I let's don't, talk about Jack. I don't want to romance Jack. I understand if you go the paragon the paragon route of romancing Jack, they have very sweet moments together and their romance scene is just them cuddling and it's very sweet, yada yada. Cool. I just want to be Jack's homie, but also listen to their problems. I am not romantically interested in Jack. 
there is no option to just be Jack's homie. On one is level, it, I... Is that true if you're male shepherd? If uh. you're male shepherd, what you can do is you can leave it in limbo and just never confirm a relationship, and then that counts as being Jack's homie. But if you outright reject her and say, nah, I'm not trying to be your sneaky link, I'm just, you know, friends, she will never speak to you again. Like, when you go down to talk to her, she gives you the fuck off treatment. And I'm like, I guess? Yeah, if you're female, Shepard, you get the opportunity to be, like, good friends. Like, and you get to continue oh. that friendship in Mass Effect 3. Actually, like, uh, and hmm? I don't know, I don't know. I got to the point where um, the only thing she would say to me was that she's not gay. Like, we had good moments, and all of a sudden, like you get to the end of the line and the only thing she has to say to you is that I'm not gay. Get out of here. And that's it. Like, yeah. If you, if you run out of dialogue, it goes to the, it, it the, automatically right. default. If you run out of dialogue in Mass Effect 2, it automatically goes to the, the romance dialogues on all characters, which is either together, not together, or, uh, I, you are not my, not my type Bruh. or right. and then, or or with grunt it goes like shepherd right or grunt <laughs> and i feel like they the execution of that idea they got too clever and realized oh jack's default option or jack's default non-romance option for male is fuck off when yeah, is a sharp it, it's it's a sharp narrative twist from hey we were bonding we were becoming friends but now because i'm not romantically interested fuck off yeah I could, I could like i could understand that narrative choice if they played it as jack was falling for shepherd and then jack couldn't handle the rejection that would actually make sense but the romance is never played that way. It's always played as Shepard pursuing Jack and Jack saying no. Yes. Mm -hmm. So it was yeah. just very, very weird choice. There, there's, there's no platonic emotional intimacy option with Jack, which is something that uh, was a big mistake. I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I have a question. <laughs> is it just me or does Jack just seem coded as far too young? To be a viable romance option like i don't like i understand that she's old enough to have lived as she's been kind of you know living on her own as, as, as I, a baby but like i understand we're gonna look up how what jack's age is cause right because she's, she's in her 20s but like you know what i mean it's a maybe it's because my shepherd was always i've made my both of my shepherds are kind of like in my in my head she's, canon my shepherds are all like 40 to 45 year old non-dudes no, like, shepherd's 35 right it's still like it's still weird like someone like i don't know maybe it's me but someone jack who is jack is 24 right she's a very she's a very, she, she's got more problems and she's so young that to me it just has always seemed weird as a romance option like she's clearly got and i'm not saying she definitely needs a homie way more but to such a degree that i don't know where you would find her attractive to want to okay. romance her Listen, the only reason Liara is even, even as an Asari, and Asari lived, like, fucking forever, the only reason Liara is even, like, a remotely viable romance option is because in Mass Effect 2, Liara is, maturity-wise, like, human 30s. Right. 
Like the Mass Effect one, I'm just like, sweetie, you are so young. Right. And so awkward and so young. This is a giant no. <laughs> and I feel, and it, they, the funny thing is, is I have that exact same opinion with both Lexi and PD in Andromeda, where I'm just like, y'all are babies. I don't care that you're like 300 years old. You are children. <laughs> you are basically teenagers. And young maiden stage no i can't no 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 come back to me when you're closer to your matron age thank you right and it's also super weird because the game wants you to treat liara as the canon romance because her final scene with you in mass effect 3 is a romance scene so the game is actively telling you that the, the writers view that the canon sh romance option for Shepard is Liara. If you don't romance Liara, she is, I don't know about this on male Shepard, on female Shepard. She is like the best friend that like you will ever have. Like she, like they really wrote a beautiful friendship between Liara and Shepard. It's absolutely great again i don't know if that exists with male shepherd because they they handled the relationships between male shepherd and female shepherd very differently um but like you can have a put like you can have like a just a really emotional like friendship with liara that's very good that's written extremely well it's some of the only good writing between female characters in the entire series if you're, if so you're a male shepherd Garrus gets those story beats instead of Liara. Yes. Bullshit. Right. Also, uh, on that note, talking about how terrible female to female writing is in the series, uh, Li Liara and her mother, <laughs> Matriarch Benezia in Mass Effect 1, that is the most awkward, trash ass piece of storyline, and that boss fight was bullshit. And I mean bullshit in like, uh, what the fuck is this? This is a nothing fight. This isn't even a boss fight. It yeah. was ads. It was, it was ads. ads. I'm fighting, a I'm um, fighting one of the most powerful sorry. beings in the galaxy and a sorry matriarch, and she's just throwing geth at me. Okay, sure. I right. She's literally holding herself up in a bubble, like trying to send off coordinates. And like, it's not like when the bubble breaks down, you really fight her. She's just like throwing geth and. She's like just straight up throwing Geth and Rachni at you. She's just like, but she's not even using her own powers. And then she dies. And then when she dies, she's just like, ah, oh, Saren, I'm so sorry. My beloved daughter. I'm like, what the fuck bullshit writing is this? And of course, the ne literally the next story quest that you do is really well done. Like the next story quest is extremely well done. But the way that that specifically with Matriarch Benezia, how that ends, I'm just like, y'all don't know how to write women. If you think of yeah. that fight as a soul train line, it takes some of the edge off. Thank you. That's all I had to add to that. Thank you. That's all. <laughs> if you think of her pointing to one camera and all of a sudden niggas start dancing down the skin, then you point to the other camera and niggas start dancing. For the record, it's I don't agree with it. I'm just saying if you think of it as a soul train line, it takes 2% of the 100% valid edge it, it, anger you have with the boss fight and the writing around it off. That's all I'm right. saying. So well, and also, so I'm, while the boss fights in Mass Effect 1 aren't necessarily enjoyable, I do also acknowledge that mechanically, like the story around the Benezia fight is, there's no explaining that. It's just bad. It's just a, a not good story. Mechanically, all the boss fights are kind of the same. But again, 2007, 
I get it. Because Mass Effect 2 rolls around. Those are very different boss fights. Mass Effect 2 is really good gameplay-wise. Aside from the numerous bugs. Mass Mass Effect 2 is the buggiest in the series. Which, okay, so first off, Mass Effect 2 has some extremely polarizing writing within itself. Again, this is all coming from the, I have to like reiterate, I really love the Mass Effect series. Like I genuinely love the Mass Effect series. I'm roasting this out of the love in my heart. Mass Effect Effect is still very good. In fact, if you have the opportunity, please don't take this as us saying you shouldn't get the Legendary Edition. You absolutely should. Get the Legendary Edition. It's also the only way to play Mass Effect 1 anymore because it makes, they did all the life changes to Mass Effect 1 that just makes it beautifully playable. Right. And uh, Mass Effect, I'll say this once we get around to the bottom end of these. It's like we're going to do multiple episodes, maybe two at least. And um, having all the Mass Effects stacked up on top of each other does impact, does affect how emotionally impactful it is. It's still very much, it still gets under your skin. It's well done in that way, but it's just got some flaws that are worth talking about. Because they're still reeling from Mass Effect 3, just like, just the journey in Mass Effect 3. Uh, the journey in Mass Effect 3 is beautiful. Like, I'm still having Mass Effect 3 dreams, and I'm just like, please stop. <laughs> yeah, I I have so many thoughts about 3. We're on 2 now. <laughs> I know we're on 2. 3 is going to take up a whole episode. Yeah. Uh, what, I, what I will say, 2, what 2 does really well, the combat in 2 is such a, it feels good. The combat in two feels really good. Powers feel really good. Combos feel really good. When they work. When they work. The interactions between the crew is really well done. Not just your party members, but also the staff on ship. That's also really well done. Um, I guess my, my complaint would be... Miranda's storyline... I can see how a writer would write that and think it's great, like storyboarded. I'm like, this is going to be great. And oh. then the director saying, and now show her ass. And the writer's like, what? And zoom in on her ass when she says she's perfect. I, I was about to say Miranda's storyline with her father is encompassing of the greater writing issue with Mass Effect 2. But you that wasn't the direction you were going. You were going for how basically her onesie isn't so much of a onesie from the midsection down as it is painted, painted on, on naked they skin. Tr- they tried to make the objectification of Miranda a plot point. And I feel like a better writing team probably could have pulled that off because I've seen it done well in other series. But Mass Effect 2, it just felt weird. And then like you said, like the greater narrative of her and her father that's super creepy and i don't think and i don't think until three we realize just how much of a monster her father is no they kind of yada yada a lot of his a lot of the horrible things he does in two no it's it's okay so here's a problem with mass effect 2 and it's not a problem it's just this is how mass effect 2 is mass effect 2 is set up that if you talk to everybody if you read everything there's very it's very clear what your decisions should be like you should 
you should be able to clearly make what is in the game and just outside of the game the correct decisions. If you don't literally talk to everybody and read everything, you're not going to do that. Or you're going to think it's not a big deal if you don't do that. Or if you do, you can just be like, I still think it's wrong anyway because it's a fucking racism simulator. Well, sorry. Excuse me. Squiggle-ism simulator. There's too many. There's too many. There's like some really horrific writing against people with disabilities. There's horrific. There's horrific. Like horrific. Like genuine. Like ethically horrific writing against. Like it, it goes really hard into eugenics. Yeah. Um, it, it, it goes in like Cerberus is I've just been calling them a human supremacist organization because they literally did research on how white supremacist terrorist cells work and then incorporated it that into how Cerberus operates like Cerberus is Cerberus is literally based off of white supremacist organizations like right down to their recruitment tactics, like how they write the recruitment tactics in game. Like the like this isn't like this this is this is a fact. <laughs> right. And I think the weakness of two is they give Shepard the ability to buy into the propaganda. Right. Which is why right. I call it a simulator. I thought it was clever to if you're gonna have them be with servers and have the propaganda all around you, that's a clever writing tool. If at the end the rug is pulled from under you and you still see, nope, they're still the bad guys, but don't you see how easy it is to fall into propaganda? That would have been clever because then in three, there was again a sizable community of gamers TM that were upset that you couldn't work with the elusive man. And I'm like, it's obvious he's the bad guy from day one. <laughs> oh, you bought the Nazi propaganda. Got it. <laughs> it's really shockingly clearly bad. Yes. Like they just like they're, they're the, the, the penultimate decision in Mass Effect 2 is do you give the collector base to the elusive man or not? There is no reason to give it to him. He has not, he has, but he has betrayed you twice at this point. He has lied to you. No, I'm sorry, three times. He's betrayed you three times at this point. He's lied to you numerous times. There is no reason to give him the collector base. The only reason to do so is if you buy into his propaganda. Which, as Bacon has said, if you're talking to everybody, you can even get your own crewmates who are who are a part of Cerberus and believe in Cerberus to say, "Nah, this dude is wild. We got, we can't. It can't be this." Right. So a big, so a big thing too. And again, this is kind of how this is this is a really easy recruitment tactic. Like this is a super easy recruitment tactic. Is you find somebody who's angry about a thing, like for example, uh, low unemployment in an area. Or a political decision that um, uh, affects your local area or affects a greater area. So you find people who want to do things, but they're getting, and they want to help, but they're getting um, set back at every opportunity. You come in as the organization and be like, I can help you do the thing that you want. And even if they may have like a shady background, you're not doing shady things. You just want to help with this non-shady thing to get this right. However, the company, however, the organization itself is doing not great things. So they use that opportunity to recruit you in to like, again, not shady, not fucked up, 
mundane things, right? But they use that opportunity to like slowly like give you misinformation, um, lie about their actions, uh, cover up actions, and until they like pull you into the fold entirely. Like this is a really common recruitment tactic. So in Final Fantasy, I don't know why I said Final Fantasy. Oh my god, my brain. Too much feast. Too much PvP. <laughs> Well, there's, there's actually a really good Final Fantasy fourteen out. There's, there's a good parallel there. We're not going parallel. <laughs> no, I'm stopping you. This time I'm stopping you. I appreciate. No, I appreciate you. By the way, that's that's a that's adult hosting right there. Keeping that show on the rails. Well, let's talk about Final Fantasy. No. Good job. Good job, Bacon. That was really excellent. That's why you're the host of this program, and you're, I'm not the actual host of this program. Nicely done. Um, what was I saying? But yeah, so the alliance. So here's the alliance. We fought Saren. We fought a Reaper, etc. We all know that Reapers exist. The the um, council in um, you know the which, if you save the council, is made up of the same aliens that it was before, but plus um, either Anderson or Udina. Of course, I chose Anderson. Why the fuck would I choose Udina for anything? No. <laughs> yeah. Um, or it's full of, or the council is now full of humans with again either Anderson or Udina if you don't save the council. Um, which again, that's a weird decision because the canon for that is still saving the council. Um, <laughs> but so the way it is is like, so everybody's trying to like hide what happened with Saren about the Reapers. They're hiding all information about the Reapers. They're just having you fight Geth. They're not, they're specifically. Um, uh, not dealing, not publicly dealing with the situation. Although it does turn out that behind the channels, the alliance is actually dealing with it. They just don't want to like cause panic, so they're doing things in a very specific way. But you have alliance officers who are too far down the totem pole who are like the alliance and the council are doing nothing about this. The council actually is not doing anything about it. The alliance is, um, and so they leave the alliance. To then work for Cerberus because Cerberus is doing a thing. They're doing the thing. They're they're uh, dealing with the collectors who are actually attacking human colonies. And of course, the council's like, we don't really care about the humans. It's in the terminus systems. The terminus systems. We don't. We specifically don't want a war with the terminus systems. To be honest, I don't think anybody does. The terminus systems Ooh. are bad. <laughs> like. I don't, cool. I'm not gonna. Gosh. I don't want to pull over the. Um, I'm not gonna pull over the conversation. No, you. This is. I mean, and, and like, but that's how you know Cerberus was using people who were angry to recruit into their cause, just like, like that's what white supremacist organizations do. Like that's the example. Uh, to get to Aaron's point, the terminus systems. Um, it is one of the continuous points. Continuing points is when you talk, you're in council space, all in Mass Effect One, and they talk about the terminus systems. And the council themselves are like, "We don't want any smoke with the terminus systems. We can't cause problems with the term. We can't help you because we don't want the terminus systems to br- br- uh, to turn on us." And you think that they're just being political cowards until you play Mass Effect Two, and it is wall to wall mercenaries and deadly creatures wall to wall every single planet all the lore everybody's fighting mercenaries on the behalf of corporations clearing out people cities being destroyed ransacked all types of people being lost in space mining operations resulting in thousands dead every planet Uh, i'm not gonna lie my favorite part about that is that they're like actually shepherd you're not a very discreet person and you like blowing up things you do great out in the terminus systems you're just 
by yourself now. Yeah. And there and that's the story of in Mass Effect and how um Mass Effect 2 where Commander Shepard becomes a mercenary leader with a stolen Cerberus ship. They were not kidding. Yes. It's one of the it's one of the most on the nose narrative things. It's Mass Effect and the greater and telling the grander story of Mass Effect, there are a lot of missteps, except that one, which is perfect. Like Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 2 really does frame the Terminus systems as a terrifying place. And I see why the council just wants nothing to do with them. I see it like Jesus fucking Christ. But it's fun. Yeah, no, like, it's fun to blame. like, I just want to emphasize specifically Shepard is absolutely an ex Alliance mercenary leader in Mass Effect 2. Yes. Like all of all of the military propaganda is dropped. You're now like being backed financially backed by an by like a white supremacist organization, human supremacist organization. But really, at the end of the day, you're still making your own decisions, and you are straight up a mercenary. Like like you do something, servers will pay pay you money, but you are on your own. Yes, Shep becomes Space Blackwater. <laughs> absolutely yeah <laughs> you are absolutely correct dr doe it is funny you do feel more like a specter you do feel more like a specter working for cerberus like in but you have of your that. own team like you have your own small mercenary right and then you also i think you then destroy every other mercenary that's my favorite part is like wait what are we doing are we just are we taking over like if if we wanted to we could assume control of the mercenary functions in this fucking terminus system we literally we could literally become one of the most singular powerful people in the terminus systems yes through killing everyone we go go the opposite we go okay so mass effect one is impossible military impossible white man yeah mass effect two is rogue fbi agent (laughs) impossible white man so rogue mass effect 3 is denzel washington dies at the end (laughs) impossible white man yes yes (laughs) that is accurate i think and i will say i'll go on getting that impossible white man simulator their mass effect is really good at that part like the the running and gunning they're really good at making you feel like you're in an action film, especially three. It is Oof. a what an eighty hour action film, bruh. Uh, tell, fifty hour. I tell people fifty hour action film. It's like if a truck, while it was about to drive into your the front into your office through the glass, hit the curb and flipped end over end, but just never stopped flipping like through the window, through your office, bouncing off the walls, but your office kept extending in length. And the car never stopped flipping. And it's just bouncing all over the place. Just an endless, endless flipping car wreck. Car rotating 80 times. Exploding, knocking off walls. Blowing up five times. People flying out of the car. Everything. It never lets up. Once it goes, like from the moment you start, it never lets up. I have, I have, I have a clip where I biotic charged a person, headbutted them into... A, ex- a cryo explosive canister where they then go flying and then I think Garrus snipes them the rest of the way. Yes. Yeah. That's the yeah. Terminus systems. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's the 
Like you, you kill. Oh, so you, we you go on. We can talk about this when we talk about Mass Effect Three next episode. But my favorite thing of Mass Effect Three is building Garrus and then just having him play the game while I watch. Oh shit. Um, I didn't. I didn't get to do that because I did build Garrus and he came with me on literally everything. But my issue is, is I'm a melee character. Yes. And I got very tilted at some of the. It was the boss fight designs. Um, yeah, like they they have a great melee system, and then make all the bosses melee resistant. Uh, I mean, brutes are fine. I mean, like, I mean, the the issue wasn't like that they would be melee resistant because you can cryo ammo bypasses everything. Yeah. <laughs> also, so also Liara. If you have Garrus and Liara, Liara um, using uh, stasis and warp. Stasis is just an automatic armor disintegrator. Just melts away. And if you throw a landmine from Garrus and you use stasis on a turret, it just blows up. You don't just immediately blows up. You don't have to. I might have to headbutt it to get that last explosion. But honestly, the issue with it is that um, they just continuously throw enemies at you while the actual, like, with, but they throw enemies at you with either an instant kill mechanic like not the enemies with an instant kill but like an overall like there's another part of the fight where there's an in, a thing that can instant kill if you um miss it right or the thing will fucking glitch that you need the button like it'll be a button press and the thing will glitch and then you will die it uh oh i got tilted um, it, it does. But the com- the combat in Mass Effect Two, I just have to say this because Mass Effect Two does a lot of heavy lifting in terms of like uh, in the series in terms of writing cohesiveness. Yeah. And um, the combat, but the issue with Mass Effect Two is Mass Effect Two is buggy as hell. It is extremely buggy. Like they had to even go back into the Legendary Edition to fix some of the bugs and glitches. Huh. You mean like combat? You mean combat bugs? Combat bugs, like abilities, just don't go off. Huh. That explains a lot. Okay. I. I. Okay. They just don't go off, and um, that that becomes a problem in Mass Effect Three. But what happens in combat in Mass Effect Three is that the enemies can phase through the floor and through the walls, and so and and your teammates can also move through things to a point and both the enemies and your teammates get stuck stuck on things or like an enemy will be like in a wall shooting at you and there's no enemy there yeah it's the um the the reapers appear however they appear and they will just the reapers it's also cerberus cerberus will walk through walls they will come up from the ground like they just like everything so in Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 2, the only enemies that, like, come out of, like, the negative space, the background space of the game, are husks. Yeah. So, they're, like, and if you think of husks like zombies, we haven't played the series. Like, you know, in zombie games, zombies just, like, appear out of, like, they come out of the drains. They come down the walls. They come, like, they just appear out of everywhere. They added that to literally all of the enemies in Mass Effect 3. Huh. So, so the only ones that have an animation that makes sense 
are the Cerberus employees that like, no, actually it doesn't. Never mind. Because so they'll have like a, a drop ship that'll come over and like drop Cerberus, but it flies away, but still Cerberus are still like parachuting, sorry, uh, like jet jumping down from nowhere. And then you have others. And I am not actually kidding when I say they like phase through walls. I have been streaming the entirety of the trilogy. You can literally see them coming through the wall. Like there's a door right there. The door doesn't even open. They just come through the wall. They just had spawn points and I, everybody can get stuck in a spawn point. And then enemies just keep spawning until you finish whatever the objective is. But they in, they keep increasing the number of enemies that spawn until you die. Yeah. I got, nigga, I got so tilted. <laughs> I got so tilted when my stuff when it, when my stuff was glitching. I'm trying to look this up. I didn't. I I I only had issues with um actually like I didn't have anybody doing anything crazy. Um. So, huh? Well. It was- it was something. Well, again, I melee. I literally just charge in and I shotgun people in the face. Oh yeah, no, I've I've listen that when you are as Vanguard, there's no other play, way to play Vanguard except charge into people's chests and retrieve your shields from inside their body. Yeah. <laughs> there's no other way to play the game. Charge so. shotgun. Charge shotgun. Yes. Charge shotgun. Yes. Charge I, shotgun punch because punch also gives you your shields back. Glorious. Right. It yeah. also, also cracks your skull. The first time I played Mass Effect, I was a soldier because I didn't understand the power system. Now that I understand the power system, yeah, went Sentinel, tech armor plus warp plus cryo freeze, and then in three, where you can just generate combos on your own without needing your party members. <laughs> warp and freeze. It creates a nice little free shockwave that freezes everybody around. I'm like, oh yeah, this is great. We can make this work. Cryo ammo. Cryo ammo in my shotgun. And then I punched them. And watching a frozen mech just ragdoll physics like it's made out of feathers. Yeah. So great. No, the, the Mass Effect 2 and 3, the combat feels so good when it works. It is. Do you, so do you know what good. you know what doesn't feel good in Mass Effect 3? Fem shepherds walk and run. Ooh, the gender yeah, was very weird. That that was gen- very weird. The gendered run, the gendered walking and running, the gendered walk in the public spaces only. Because when you pick up a gun, you then have you then you go back to gender neutral. You go to yeah, you go to the universal run animations, and when you're only when you're in the exploration areas, do you do this weird float, which is not a run. It's a run that it's if it's a sachet, it's a sachet I've never seen anyone deploy. That's ever. because people have spines. Right. Is that it? <laughs> the presence of the spine fucking it up? And people see human beings have spines and their elbows are not glued to their waists when they do a sachet walk. Shepherd clearly after all that combat in the terminus system, female shepherd's spine liquefied. Ah, the terminus systems did it. That makes sense. Clearly, 
And then her her toes, if um she's standing still, her toes like go inward a little bit, and that she's got the bow leg thing to the model. And I was just like, yeah, that why we had two games, bruh, where where she where Shepard is walking around like an awkward lady cowboy. Yes, 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 Penguin. The animation was brought to you by Rob Leefield. <laughs> Her spine, like her spine like just disintegrates and it's the weirdest thing because she's she actually does it too when she's when she's got heavy armor yes it's just the heavy armor like and it's not even just like in, in you know citadel casual space it's like i'm on palavin fighting reapers and i'm just gonna sashay walk across with my holding my shotgun with my elbows stuck to my sides, even though I'm holding a shotgun, like Shepard really needs a chiropractor. It does. It is. I've I've, I've gotten into the habit of playing the um, social areas like Resident Evil, where I point at tank controls, where I sprint. I either walk or I sprint. So I pivot, sprint, <laughs> pivot. I sprint. try. To, I do sprint but the sprint animation is so ugly that it makes me angry it's not gendered it's just ugly i'd rather do in weirdly awkwardly gendered or just ugly the run shepherd's legs are broken now the funny thing is you actually do the mass effect to run and if you run on a if you change elevation so like if you walk around in the ship and you like walk around on like a diagonal you just do the mass effect to walk and run full stop you just literally go into that animation so it's very strange. Very weird. It, 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 I spent the entire time. It was so jarring that when I started playing, I played Mass Effect Andromeda two hours after I beat Mass Effect 3. When I started up Mass Effect Andromeda, I was so happy just to like see Ryder walk like a goddamn cowboy. Yes. I was just like, God bless you, Ryder, with your sprint and your walk. Like jogs like a ba- like jogs like a boxer and walks like a cowboy. I was like, God, thank you. No, seriously, Ryder's got that boxer. Yes. Like light exercise boxer jog. Like they they need like they're they're jogging to their car to get coffee at the Starbucks, but like they never leave training mode. <laughs> that is so oddly specific but it's really accurate accurate. it's shockingly accurate painfully accurate it's great it makes me so happy yeah anything else that we want to say because like i uh the rest of this stuff i think we're gonna talk about like the 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 worst of the problematic writing with mass effect 2 when we talk about mass effect 3 because i think right now we condense mass effect 1 and mass effect like the first half like mass effect 1 and then the first half of mass effect 2 but you right. can't talk about Mass Effect, the, the the worst part about Mass Effect 2 without talking about Mass Effect 3. And we just don't have time for that. Everybody's a war criminal. Like, that's the, like, you know what? The writers are war criminals. Well, so I, was, I was talking with Chris about this on his podcast. Every council race commits a war crime. Yep. Every single one. And... Yeah, we'll talk about it when we talk about three. It's just very weird narrative decisions being made all around. I have I have such problems with the narrative decisions. 
I mean, they kind of, I, I'm not going to get into it. Um, they're in a, they're, they're difficult in writing over in, in the world they've built, navigating the world they've built. Oh, and like a large scale kind of really bubbles over the side in Mass Effect 3. That's where we'll leave it. Um, but Mass Effect 3 is a wild romp. Very emotionally and very emotional, wild, strangely written romp. And uh, yeah, I think, I think we have enough for this episode. Um, we will return to the, I guess, the latter half of the trilogy because we like stopped in the middle of Mass Effect too. Yeah, it's yeah. A, like I just like I can't trilogy. talk about the most egregious parts of Mass Effect two without talking about Mass Effect three, and Mass Effect three is a, tr- and 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 you can't talk about the most egregious parts about Mass Effect three without talking about Mass Effect two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they are tethered together narratively, they like, are, and it's like they. The the entire second half of the game and Mass Effect 3 is why I call the trilogy a ism simulator. Like, there is some ethically questionable writing that occurs in the second half of Mass Effect 2 that continues into Mass Effect 3. And I genuinely believe that the backlash that Mass Effect 3 got and the backlash that that Andromeda got was from the community that they fostered and built through their series by allowing people to make certain dialogue and narrative choices because they were genuine they were by doing so they were co-signing behaviors and there are some decisions that are clearly the wrong decisions that Shepard makes. And there's like no, there's like no way around it. Like responses that are marking a very clear cosign of certain beliefs. And again, this is why I say this stuff isn't happening in a vacuum. People with beliefs, with biases, wrote this shit and allowed and like put it into the game. And then that community came back and did some horrific things that um nobody expected and i don't believe deserved i also don't believe that they deserved any of that i just cause and effect right but i also don't believe that they deserved any of that what that what happened yes yeah it is uh how do i say um the uh tra tra uh, atrocities as thought experiments always fail and that's that's kind of the thing it's like they they always 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 fail and um mass effect the writers from mass effect fell into that and uh yeah it yeah they had an, a pro atrocity fan base and then they removed the atrocities <laughs> and you were out here just turning on the water and getting people sandwiches and the pro atrocity crowd was furious but we will get there uh, yep the pro atrocity crowd was not happening so um is there anything you'd like to add justin before we wrap this up no, nah, I think we've hit a good stop point. I, I think we have done the content. Content was created. And we have baited the hook for future content. I think we did our job here today. Well, um, Also, it's my birthday. Well, we were going to um, wish you Every again uh, happy um, week three of your... Of the Bacon Birthday Bash. The Bacon Birthday Bash. Uh, 
check out my Twitch channel, by the way. I have, if you, my past broadcasts are, like, for the last month and a half are all Mass Effect. Um, I'm now a quarter of the way through Mass Effect Andromeda. Maybe not quite halfway. Somewhere in between. Three-eighths? I'm three-eighths of the way through Mass Effect Andromeda. Yeah, Andromeda's a massive game. Like, that's... Like I said. Listen, I understand that Andromeda has a really slow, really boring, extremely uninteresting beginning, but playing it directly after Mass Effect 3 was glorious because it was, like, it was legit, like, listening to somebody spout conspiracy theories for several hours and then turning on NPR when it's at, like, the most boring part or Democracy Now!, where it's just like sleep news, but rational. So good. <laughs> I was like, please give me this boring intro. <laughs> this is so much better. <laughs> so I'm just saying that. Well, did you tell everyone the actual Twitch page though? Twitch.com. Is it Mecca Baconzilla? Uh, no, the Baconzilla. Twitch.com backslash the Baconzilla. Just the Baconzilla. No numbers, no dashes. No numbers, no dashes, no weirdness. P- it is literally going on it right now. Ooh. Twitch.tv slash the Baconzilla. Find yep. our bacon there, streaming Mass Effect for your pleasure. Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. I think time start depending on when I get up as with all great artists I think that's it for us Um, yeah we will catch you guys uh, next week and uh, thank you guys for listening Um, have a pleasant day thank you bye everybody don't commit war crimes don't commit war crimes. I'll be oh. streaming Andromeda tomorrow because um, tomorrow's Thursday. I do have a doctor's appointment, so it's going to be a late start time. I mean, but definitely hang out and watch me tomorrow. So just like watch my Twitter. I have my Twitter linked on my Twitch account. So just check out my Twitter folks who are watching. And that's when I'll be streaming. Uh, I'll like alert be like in like 30 minutes. I'll be starting. I swear to God, I have my coffee now. Thanks. All right. Bye, everybody. Go ahead, stand.